How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. All right, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your anointing. Father, I thank you that it breaks the yoke. Father, that it brings health and wealth, that it brings wisdom and prosperity. And Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Let it bring change to people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so the title of this message this morning is No Other Name. All right, what, I don't know about you, but names have always intrigued me a little bit. I mean, you know, not so fanatical about it that I study all the names and, and everything and what they mean, but I think it's important for us to know what our names mean. You know what I mean? Uh, where they come from, where they have their origins, who we are as a people. Um, here in the United States especially, uh, we're kind of a, 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 a mosh pit of people because there's people from Europe, there's people from Africa, there's people from, from Haiti, there's people from South America. So we have all these different cultures and all these different names uh, of people. We need to know about their origins and where they come from, in my opinion, because our names bear with them characteristics of who we are. Let me show you something or read something to you. I think our names are significant. I have to use these. Listen to this according to the Washington Post. A person's name is the greatest connection to their own identity and individuality. Some might say it is the most important word in the world to that person. It is the one way we can easily get someone's attention. Whenever someone remembers our name or after meeting us, we feel respected and we feel more important. How many of you know that to be true? My wife can attest to this fact. When we came to this church almost four years ago now, can you believe that? Four years ago now. That one of the things I made comment about Pastor Brian was that he remembered our name. Am I telling the truth? That's one of the comments I made. I said, we need to go back to that church because that guy remembered our name. There are a lot of churches that you go to today, they don't even recognize who you are. Especially large, large churches because they lose the neighborhood aspect, if you know what I mean. So it's important for us to remember one another's name. So I make it a point, especially at the school. Speaking of the school, I have one of my coworkers here this morning. She, she decided to come and join us. So we want to welcome you to one of God's happy churches. So, so I, I make it a point at the school to try my best to remember all the little kids' names. Because as important as it is to me, I think it is that much more important to them. Hey, Mr. Robert knows my name, man. He recognizes me, recognizes me when, he, when, he, when I come in. So I think names are important for that reason. Listen to this other article. Uh, studies have been made to try and figure out if our names uh, dictate who we are as individuals. Not only as who we are as individuals, but also whether or not our names can predict our future successes and our failures. Listen to this article. This article is from... Uh, the S British Psychological Society. Names have meanings. They have historical, geographical, occupational, and so on. That trans transcend the individual, and while people do occasionally change their names to match their characters, the most intriguing hypothesis is that they change their characters to match their names. Did you hear that? How many rappers do you know? There is, there is plenty for psychologists to get their teeth into. 
Why are names so powerful in drawing attention, but so vulnerable in memory terms? In other words, names are so powerful, but we have that is the area we struggle the most in remembering people's names. Could position in the alphabet determine the quality of health care we receive? Were the urologists J.W. Splatt and D. Whedon particularly drawn to publish papers together on incontinence? Dr. Splatt. Can surnames spark unconscious racism? Could something as minor as our initials determine our faith? This is written by Nicholas Christenfeld and Brita Larson of the British Psychological Society, March 2008, volume 21, if you want to look it up for yourself. I want to talk about that for one second. There are other publica publications that say that people that do hiring on jobs will look at the names on the application first before they look at any of the credentials. And what is very interesting about what I'm about to tell you is Rodney and I were talking about this just a few minutes ago. Instead of looking at the credentials and the qualifications of the individual, they look at the name of the person to find out, oh, is that a black-sounding name? Is that a white-sounding name? Oh, this person sounds Hispanic. Do we want any Hispanics working for us? Do we want any Latinos working for us? That's part of your systemic racism problem. So names are so powerful that they can dictate who gets hired and who does not. Because they bear the characteristics of that individual with that name. Am I making sense? Pastor, would you do me a favor? Would you get a mic? Help me for one second. We're going to have a little fun now. Don't worry, he's not going to sing. All right. <laughs> okay. Wait. Wait, 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 wait. That's not a challenge. Um, is there anyone that's close to the front here who, your first name, you know the meaning of it and where it is from? Does anyone know that? Anyone at all? Kirk. Of course, I, of course it was Kirk. All right. Give, give Kirk a microphone. Kirk, tell us your first name, which is Kirk. Tell us where it's from and what it means. Uh, my first name is Kirk. It is Scottish and it means church. Awesome. Who else? Somebody else over here raised their hand. Cherie? Right here, Pastor, Pastor Troy, if you don't mind. Okay, my name is Cherie. It's French, and it means beloved. Awesome. Okay. Somebody, oh, look, we got another one right here. Another winner right here. So my name is Chastity, but it stems from chastity, like the chastity belt. Mm -hmm. And it means purity, and it, I believe it's Hebrew. Awesome. Okay, good news. Good news. All right, good. Good deal. All right, just hang on to that mic for one second. So what we can know and understand is that our names bear characteristics in and of themselves, okay? Does that necessarily mean that's who we are as an individual? Yes and no. Yes and no. There's some truth that our name bears some characteristics in describing who we are. So when someone who knows us hears our name immediately, everything they know about us, every imperfection, every flaw, every characteristic, even including an image of an individual, pops into our mind. For instance, John Wayne. Immediately, you think of cowboys, you think of a, a, a tough guy, you think of, of the actor, you see an image of his face, and you're, am I telling the truth? 
For instance, when I said, when I called Pastor Troy's name, immediately everyone thought he was going to sing. <laughs> Again, the names bear the characteristics of the individual. Here's another one for you. Poop. Right? Am I right? So everyone immediately had, knew what the characteristics of poop was. Can you believe I said poop? Or the word speaker. I shared this one with Chastity the other day, speaker. When someone tells you that they're looking for a speaker, immediately you think about what a speaker does, what types of components are in a speaker, what types of different uh, speakers there are, manufacturers of speakers. I'm sorry that got really loud because of our speakers. So the point I'm trying to convey to you is that when you hear a name, any name, it doesn't matter what the name is, immediately those characteristics, especially those names that you are most familiar with, pop into your head. This is my name. My first name is Robert. It is Germanic or German, however you want to say it. It means bright, shining, renowned, fame. My middle name is Foster. It's English. It is a trade name, believe it or not. And, and back in those days, a lot of men bore trade names. For instance, I ran across this when I was doing this. The name Smith is actually a shorter uh, form of people that worked in metallurgy, like blacksmiths or armor smiths. So their last name was Smith. So Foster's an English name, and it's a trade name. And guess what it means? It means forest worker. That's not that funny. <laughs> My last name, Carswell, is Scottish, and it's actually from South Oxfordshire. And the reason that's important is because Carswell is actually a habitational name. In other words, everyone in Scotland that lived in this particular area, their name was Carswell. Actually, the clan name, the Scottish clan name, make sure we're clear on that, the Scottish clan name was Caswallan, and it shortened over a period of time into Carswell. So, and this actually means people who live near or on a stream or near a common well. So, my name quite literally means bright, shining forest worker living down by the river. <laughs> and I'm a junior. So, so, I did that for fun because I knew I would be an easy target. So, I've always believed that names mean something and carry some characteristics with them. When it came time to name our firstborn, Joshua, I made it clear that there would not be a Robert F. Carswell III. For these reasons, I knew... I knew the pain that I went through as a child. I did not want to follow... That all of those things that came with it, I did not want it to be attached to them. So we named our son Joshua Robert Carswell. Joshua because he was one of the spies who had the good report. And because his name is actually a derivative of Jesus' name, Yeshua. And it means the Lord saves. So Joshua's name quite literally means the Lord saves with bright fame living down by the river. <laughs> so names have meanings and characteristics that are born with them. And as individuals, having that knowledge, we can make better decisions about the names that we have.
with the characteristics that we carry. Now, we're going somewhere with this. So I have a question for you. Do you think names are important to God? Listen to these examples. In Genesis, Genesis chapter 17, God strikes a covenant with Abram and Sarai and changes their name to Abraham, which means father of multitudes, and Sarah, which means princess. Why? Because their new names would identify them with the covenant and the promise that God had made with Abraham. That's why he changed their names. Names were important to God. In Genesis chapter 32, we find that Jacob is wrestling with the Spirit of God and tells him that he will not let him go until God blesses him. And God changes his name to Israel. Why? Because up until this point, the name Jacob meant supplanter. He stole his brother's birthright. Israel means triumphant with God. And through the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel were born. Names are important with God. In Isaiah chapter 14, we find the fall of Lucifer. Lucifer was the most beautiful of all the angels. He was the archangel that was the leader of worship in heaven. His physical body was literally made of musical instruments. The name Lucifer means day star or morning star. God changed his name to Satan, which means adversary. Why? Because no longer was Satan a servant of God, but instead he was God's adversary and that of God's people. So names are important to God. It is how he identifies with us. It is how he identifies us. It is how he identifies things in his word. So are names important to God? Everyone said yes. But there's one name. There's one name. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Please, Michael. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So the word of God says that God gave Jesus a name that, at every, that every other name at that name would have to bow. How many of you know of anything in your existence that does not have a name? Think of one thing in your life that does not have a name. Of all the items, of all the places, of all the people, is there anything that does not have a name? No. Unless it has not been discovered yet. Even hurricanes, when we run out of the letters of the alphabet, we go into the the gammas and the alphas and the betas. So all of them have names too. What I'm trying to get you to see is, is that everything that bears a name is subject to the name of Jesus Christ. Every name. Doesn't matter how strong it is. Doesn't matter how important it is. Doesn't matter how, how long it is, how many letters it has in it. 
Every name is subject to the name of Jesus Christ. Every name. Ephesians chapter 1 says it like this, Michael. And it says this, Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And here we go, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. What that means is, is that every name that is named on this side of heaven and every name on that side of eternity must kneel to the name of Jesus Christ. It is subject to the name of Jesus. The name Jesus means this. Are you ready for this? Jehovah saves or the Lord saves. Christ means the anointed one. Literally meaning that the Lord saves, the Lord God saves through the anointed one. From the first word that we find in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, to the last word, amen, or amen, which closes the book of Revelation, the entirety of the Bible is pointing us all to Jesus, who in turn points us to the Father. Every book of the Bible points to Jesus. And then he, in turn, points us to the Father. Genesis tells us that the Word was with God. The Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Only one name was worthy to take on the cross, lay in a grave, and then leap out from it, shouting, Take on me, and I'll set you free. Only one name. Jesus and his characteristics can be found throughout the entirety of the word. Before I go there, let me say this to you. I just read to you that Genesis said, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word was flesh. In the book of Psalms, I believe it's 138, God says this. He says, I honor my word above my name. I magnify my word above my name. Now, if Jesus is the manifest word in flesh, and God says, I magnify my word, Jesus, above my name. Let me tell you what that means. That doesn't make God any lesser than he is. What that means is, is that God magnified him because he was the only one who could go to the cross to die and then to raise himself again. He's the only one because there is no other name. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. No other name. If anybody finds another way, that man is a liar. The Word says that. Listen to these descriptions. You ready? We're fixing to have a good time now. We'll tell you who Jesus is in all 66 books of the Bible. Jesus and his characteristics can be found throughout the entirety of the Word. Listen to how he is described. In the book of Genesis, he is the creator and promised redeemer. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is the high priest. In Numbers, he is water in the desert. In Deuteronomy, he is he who becomes the curse for us. See, somebody ought to be getting excited right now. In Joshua, he is the commander of the army of the Lord. In Judges, he is who delivers us from injustice. Somebody ought to be happy about that. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he is all in one. He is the prophet, priest, and king. In 2 Samuel, he... He is the king of grace and love. 
In 1 Kings, he is the ruler greater than Solomon. In 2 Kings, he is the powerful prophet. In 1 Chronicles, he is the son of David that is coming to rule. In 2 Chronicles, he is the king who reigns eternally. In Ezra, he is the priest proclaiming freedom. In Nehemiah, psh, my God, he is the... Whew. He is the one who restores what is broken down. He is the protector of his people. In Job, he is the mediator between God and man. In Psalms, he is our song in the morning and in the night. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is our meaning for life. In Song of Solomon, he is the author of faithful love. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he is the weeping Messiah. In Lamentations, he assumes God's wrath for us. In Ezekiel, he is the son of man. In Daniel, he is the stranger in the fire with us. And Hosea, he is the faithful husband, even when we run away. Joel is the sender. He is the sender of his spirit to the people. Amos, he delivers justice to the oppressed. And Obadiah, he is the judge of those who do evil. And Jonah, he is the great missionary. And Micah, he is the remover of our sin. And Nahum, he is the proclaimer of peace. And Habakkuk, he is the crusher of injustice. And Zephaniah, he is the warrior who saves. And Haggai, he is the restorer of our worship. And Zechariah, he is the Messiah who was pierced. And Malachi, he is the son of righteousness who brings healing. In Matthew, he is the Messiah who is king. In Mark, he is the serving Messiah. In Luke, he is the delivering Messiah. In John, he is the Messiah who is God in flesh. In Acts, he is the spirit who dwells in his people. In Romans, he is the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he is the power and love of God. In 2 Corinthians, he is the down payment of that which is to come. In Galatians, he is our very life. In Ephesians, he is the unity of the church. In Philippians, he is the joy of our life. In Colossians, he holds supreme position in all things. In 1 Thessalonians, he is our comfort in the last days. In 2 Thessalonians, he is our returning king. He is our returning king. In 1 Timothy, he is the savior of all sinners. In 2 Timothy, he is the leader of leaders. In Titus, he is the foundation of truth. In Philemon, he is our mediator. In Hebrews, he is our high priest. In James, he matures our faith. In 1 Peter, he is our hope in times of suffering. In 2 Peter, he is the one who guards us from false teaching. In 1 John, he is the source of all fellowship. In 2 John, he is God in the flesh. In 3 John, he is the source of all truth. In Jude, he protects us from stumbling. And in the book of Revelation, baby, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You better know that there is no other name. There is no other name. No disease that has ever been named that is stronger and more powerful than the name of Jesus. It is subject to that name. Cancer has got to go. Diabetes has got to go. Heart disease has got to go. And honey, let me tell you, racism has got to bow its knee because Jesus has had enough of that. He is coming again, and he is the one who makes all things new. It is time for us to take on a name change. The church has been around for far too long to be acting like it acts. It's time for us to walk in power again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What does that mean? Well, it means when you take on Christ, all of the characteristics that chase you around because of your name, your first and your last name, because of what your mom and daddy's name was, all those characteristics when you take on Christ, 
are gone. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says that you have put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So put off your old characteristics and take on the characteristics of Christ. Now don't forget what I just told you just a few minutes ago, that the name Jesus Christ, the Lord, saves the anointed one. When Jesus died on the cross, just a little history for you, when Jesus died on the cross and he said it is finished, the Spirit of God left the temple. And where did it go, Pastor Troy? Where did it go? It went on the inside of you. So wait a minute. If Christ is the anointed one and he dwells on the inside of each and every one of us, oh, I'll say that one more time. It's what? In it's in us. The anointing of Christ is on the inside of us. It is dwelling on the inside of us. So there is no reason. There is no reason why the names that come against us are not subject to the Spirit within us. And it's only because we don't know who we are. We've forgotten. But I'm here today to remind you that there's no other name on heaven or in heaven or on earth that is not subject to the name of Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. In two ways. When Jesus comes, when he tears the sky completely in half and he comes from the east, you're going you're gonna to kneel. In one of two ways. One, you're going to kneel in shame because you decided that every other name was more important than his, that every other thing was more important than his. You're going to kneel in shame because you know, oh, my God, they were telling the truth. But it's too late. Or you're going to kneel in another way. Having known that you have been a believer since you took on Christ and that you have all his characteristics, you will kneel in, your, in the presence of your coming king and you, will say, and you will say, I have fought the good fight. And you will take in the glory of that name. You will take in the bright, shining fame of that name because he alone is worthy. And there is no other name. So we can make some choices. It's time for a name change. Like I said, when we take on Christ, we take on his characteristics. And as we mature in him, you're going to get out early today. And as we mature in him, we lose who we are and become more like who he is and more like who he wants us to become. This is all Bible. This is all Word. Look it up for yourself. I'm not telling you anything. It's all in the Word. When you take on Christ, you lose who you are and you become who He is. That's why your name is so important. That's why it was so important to me to make sure that my son's name broke the curse over my life. I did not want that cycle 
to continue in their lives. That's why her name's Rebecca, spelled with a K. Because their names have meaning. Their names have an anointing that is appointed by God, just like Abraham and Sarah. It identifies them with the covenant that God gave them and the promise that he shared with them. Revelation chapter 5, Michael, please. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne and a scroll written inside and on the back. Seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Now keep in mind that John, the disciple, the apostle John, whatever you want to call him, standing in heaven, carried away by the Spirit, getting, getting a tour of the city and of the sanctuary. And John says this, he says, I see the one sitting on the throne and a scroll. Who, so who's, who's holding the scroll? No, he sees the throne and the one sitting on the throne. Who sits on the throne? Who's holding the scroll? No, God. God is holding the scroll. He sees the one sitting on the throne and a scroll. Rather than mine. And then, a, then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Now, if God is holding the scroll, wouldn't he be worthy to open it? Isn't that, isn't that a strange phrase? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look at it. So I, John, wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to even look at it. But then one of the elders said to me, he says, do not weep because behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has done what he has prevailed to open the scroll and elucid seven seals. Now, I'm going to give you my opinion on this verse of Scripture. That's what it is, my opinion. My guess is as good as yours. This scroll contains seven seals. Seven, well, seven. Seven seals. All right? You with me? Seven seals. Seven in Hebrew is the number of completeness. Or perfection, yeah. Or, or perfection. Now, Jesus at the cross made the statement before he gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. So I am persuaded to believe that this particular scroll here, even though the Bible does not say that's what it is, again, my opinion, my conjecture, and my guess is as good as yours, that this scroll is the Lamb's book of life. And only one individual is worthy to break those seals. And that would be the lamb who gave up his life on that cross. He was the only one worthy to go to that cross. He was the only one willing to go to that cross to bear our sins. He knew 
that the cross would separate him from the Father. God cannot look at your sin. He cannot look upon sin. And Jesus got on that cross and he became sin for us. And therefore, God had to turn his face because he cannot look on sin. Took Jesus down. They put him in a tomb, which was borrowed, by the way. And three days later, after conquering death, hell, and the grave, Jesus springs forth, having conquered our sin for us. And that's why I believe that this particular scroll is the Lamb's Book of Life with seven seals. Because Jesus finished the work. And only He is worthy to break those seals. There is no other name. That's all right. Go ahead and clap. He's worthy of being clapped for. There is no other name. Cancer comes, it's got a bow. Diabetes comes, like I said, it's got a bow. Your husband being stupid, he's got a bow. Adultery, it's got a bow. There is no other name. Michael, take us back to uh, Philippians real quick. I want to show you something. Uh, I'm going to ask Pastor Ben and the house band to come back. I made that name up. That was my, that was my idea. <laughs> um, I want to share with you the book of Philippians one more time. And there's a particular word in this verse of Scripture that we read earlier, and I skipped over it on purpose. And it says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Keep going. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. One more time. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. One more time. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. One more time, Michael. The word, therefore. How many of you know what the definition of the word, therefore, is? It's a word that means as a result of. As a result of everything that I read previous to that, God exalted him highly and gave him the name which is above every other name. Because Jesus willingly and obediently gave himself up on the cross, his name was highly exalted. So how many people here this morning need a therefore moment? Huh? How many of you need to say, therefore, Jesus? Stand to your feet. Y'all making this hard. There is no other name on this, on this planet. There is not one thing. Not one thing on this planet that is worth you going to hell over. Not a man, not a woman, not money, not luxury, none of that. There is no other name on this planet that is worthy to be served, that is worthy to be praised, that is worthy to be honored. God so honored Jesus that every name that is named has to take a knee. 
So I'm going to give you the opportunity here in about the next 15 seconds to proclaim that all of your characteristics, the ones that chase you, the ones that follow you, the things that haunt you, you're going to give it up this morning. You're going to take on the characteristics of Christ because all those things have to bow their knee. I read to you earlier 66 different versions of how Jesus is described in the Word of God. I'm pointing you to Him, and He is pointing you to the Father. So I'll ask one more time, who needs a therefore moment this morning? Why don't you all just come to the altar right now? Before we get too carried away, let's do this. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice this morning that would like to say, I've got sin in my life, I need to give that up. Just raise your hand. You don't have to call it out. You don't have to say nothing. You don't have to do nothing. All right, I see those hands. So real fast, we're going to do this as a group. We're not here to embarrass nobody, call nobody out. As a group, we're going to do this. It takes 35 seconds for a person headed to hell to get to heaven. Are you ready? Are you ready? There you are. Say these words after me. Father, I recognize that my characteristics are no good. And fa Father, I submit myself to the characteristics of Christ. Change my name calls me to be like you. I confess Christ as my Savior and I confess Him as my Lord. And I will give Him thanks and praise. Amen. Alright, so now see, all of us are standing on the same playing field right now. Every one of us. And like I told the people Monday night, like I told the people one Monday night, I don't remember which Monday night it was. Anyway, and that was this. It doesn't matter if it you got saved five minutes ago or 25 years ago. When we die, we're on equal ground with God. All right? So I'm going to ask Pastor Ben and his, oh, sorry, the house band to reprise the song we did earlier, Graves to Gardens. And I want you to know that when Jesus hit the grave, he came out into a garden. What I'm declaring to you is this, is that you've given it up today. You've given up your characteristics, all those things that haunt you, all those things that chase you. You're taking on the characteristics of Christ. And when we play this song, I want you to act like that there is no other name that's worthy.
treat. I've got a word for Kim and Danny. you to know that even though King Herod tried to stop the gospel, he's raising up four that will proclaim the gospel. What he wants you to know is that, yeah, they'll do it each in their own individual way, but they will yet proclaim the gospel, specifically Caleb. Even though sometimes he's pushed aside, he's counted as insignificant because he's not as uh, athletic, he's not as charismatic, maybe he's not quite as smart. But here's what God wants you to know. The prophet went to Jesse's house, and he saw the first son. He goes, surely this is the king. And God said, no, that's not him. God was looking for the little one that was out in the woods getting muddy and dirty and not doing what he was told. That's who God was looking for. And God wants you to know that he's got Galen in his hand and that he will proclaim the gospel. Father, we thank you for this moment. God, seal your word by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Solomon mantle on you. Here's what God wants you to know. Now, I don't know you very well, so this may no, it won't. King Solomon was anointed by God to have wisdom for prosperity. And the principles that Solomon instituted are still alive today in Israel. And that's why Jews have always been very wealthy people. Here's what God wants you to know. 
King Solomon, the son of King David, built the temple of God based on the plans that God gave David. David was too busy fighting off the, the armies that were trying to conquer Israel. Solomon built the temple. So that King Solomon mantle that you have, the aura that is on you right now, not only is a kingly anointing for prosperity, but is also a priestly anointing. Not only to proclaim the gospel, but to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. To give a word in due season that somebody's life might be changed. Solomon not only was a king, but he was a priest in the temple of God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Seal it by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Everybody have a good time this morning. Yeah. From what I understand, the Saints play at 12 o'clock. That is not why you're going home early. Because there's no other name. There is no other name. And if you remember that from day-to-day -day living, that there is no other name. There's not one thing that could come against you that is not subject to the name of Jesus Christ. Not one thing. So, Father, my blessing I give to your people this morning. Father, as they depart, let them go knowing that there is no other name in heaven or in earth. That all other names are subject to that name. I declare this morning prosperity and peace, health to your people this morning, God. Father, move on them this week to speak a word in due season, God to change somebody's life. In Jesus' mighty name, I just miss you.